If you'd like to better understand which financial KPIs make the most sense for your organization, join us in the KPIs Every Financial Controller and FPNA Should Master event. In this 60-minute webinar, Paul Barnhurst, the founder of the FPNA guy, will dive into the key metrics every financial controller and FPNA professional should master, focusing on the formulas behind the numbers and the reason behind implementing their tracking in the first place. The webinar will take place on October 19th, starting from 12 p.m. EST. No matter what type of company or organization you work for, you won't want to miss this event. So find the link in the episode resources or head over to bebowl.com forward slash webinar hyphen subscription to register. Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Charles Freund. Charles was appointed as Fleet Corps' Chief Financial Officer in September of 2020 and has been with them since 2000. During his tenure with Fleet Corps, Charles has held numerous roles including Executive Vice President of Corporate Strategy, Executive Vice President of Global Sales, President of Emerging Markets, Senior Vice President of Corporate Strategy, Vice President of UK Card Issuing, and Vice President of Business Development. Prior to joining Fleet Corps, Charles was a consultant at Sibson Consulting, a member of the Siegel Group. Charles, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thanks for having me, Megan. Delighted to be here. Yeah, today we're going to be discussing your career, the challenges and benefits associated with an M&A growth strategy, and the importance of ESG initiatives. I'm really excited to learn from you, so let's get started. Great. First, and as always, let's start with you and your story and how it is that you got to where you are today. Well, Megan, I've had a twenty, near 22-year journey here at Fleet Corps. Prior to joining Fleet Corps, I was a management consultant predominantly focused in human resource issues, but did some corporate development type projects, which is where I met our current CEO, Ron Clark, where he was the client and I was the consultant on several projects. Once Ron came to Fleet Corps, I quickly followed and working with him, laid out the strategy of where we might take the company. I started in our corporate development group, working on strategy and initial capital raising from private equity firms. Unfortunately, the business we joined was rather broken. It was about 30 million in annualized revenue and it was losing a million dollars a month in operating cash flow. So for the first year and a half, we went to work on fixing the business, rationalizing the size of the staff, fixing various practices around the company to make sure that we could basically keep the doors open. And so after a year and a half of that, we got back to break even, which was great. And then we're able to actually raise some private equity money. And that started our, our acquisition spree. And so starting in 2002, with that recapitalization, we started consolidating businesses in the United States. And I played a, a key role in that until about 2006, when we decided we wanted to expand internationally. I led a deal to buy a company in the UK. 
And upon closing that was assigned the integration task. So I moved over there without my family and, uh, and worked to integrate that company into Fleet Corps. Subsequently, we bought a couple other companies in the UK, and I then relocated my family there to run some of those businesses. And that gave me my first experience as a general manager, where we both operated businesses and then continued to buy and consolidate in that market. Meanwhile, Fleet Corps continued to expand and, and grow in other areas. I was there in the UK for about two years and then came back to help with our IPO. So in 2010, Fleet Corps went public. And my role in that project was to educate the bankers, help draft our S1 registration document, prepare our roadshow presentations, and then actually went on the roadshow with our CEO and former CFO um, to basically drum up interest in, in Fleet Corps. Successful IPO, we went out at about $23 per share. And today, trade north of $200 per share, so nearly 10 times um, our IPO price about 12 years ago. Post the, the IPO, my, my role shifted to what we called a president of developing markets. So Fleet Corps had operations in Europe and North America. And the CEO said, whatever we can go and acquire in other places, that'll be yours to run. And so was able to take our company in 2011 into Mexico. In 2012 into Brazil, and then in uh, 2013 into uh, Australia, New Zealand, and acquired a few other businesses in Brazil. So I was at that point a group president operating uh, businesses all around the world, but they didn't really interrelate very, very well. And so, and I speak no Portuguese, and so it made more sense to take the, the Brazil business and give it to someone who, who could actually. Um, operated in local language. And then we took Mexico, gave that to the North America team, and then Australia and New Zealand moved into the Europe team, which brought me into more of a corporate strategy role. So I wasn't necessarily running M&A, but I was working side by side with our CEO to, um, to advance various strategic initiatives, mostly around sales, product development, um, revenue management, as, as well as other things, um, IT, organizational structure, certain partnerships that we were evaluating, basically anything that he felt he wanted a, another set of eyes on, I would get involved in. And that lasted for about three years or so, three, four years. Um, and then when our former CFO decided to retire in the year 2020, um, in the midst of COVID, we... Um, Ron approached me and asked me if I would consider the CFO role. Uh, I never really considered it in the past, but um, he felt it might be an interesting fit. So we evaluated it. And, and then basically, here I am. So almost two years into, into the job here as CFO. So you've held a ton of different roles for Fleet Corps um, in lots of different areas. I'm just curious to know which one of those roles you felt taught you the most about the business. It's a, it's a great question. And I would say that business concepts, ideally, it was the corporate development role, right? Evaluating, looking at lots of different markets, different business models, revenue models, cost structures, et cetera, gave me a real sense of business in general. However, actually running businesses here at Fleet Corps and getting into the details of what that takes and, and, and how to manage staff across geographies and such, it was, that was eye-opening for sure. And so different roles provide me with different tool sets, even playing sort of 
corporate project manager on the IPO helped me understand investor relations and getting ready for, for that role, that aspect of my role as CFO. And so in terms of learning the businesses from outside in, corporate development from the inside out as a, a president or group president of, of actual operations here. And you made the comment that at, at one point you decided to expand internationally. How did you know it was time to do that? And what went into that decision? So it was a, a fascinating meeting. It was myself, our head of corporate development, um, and then a colleague of mine. So I was a, a vice president of corporate development at the time. Four of us uh, sitting around the CEO's conference room table. And it was 2015, uh, early 2016. We're trying to decide, do we go broader in payments, but stay domestic? Or do we continue to focus in the fleet card, um, fuel purchasing, expense management area, but do it internationally? We debated uh, for, for a while and finally said, look, let's consider the international approach. We know how those businesses run. We understand the products. We understand the, the networks that are required. We have key relationships with major oil companies here domestically. We can expand those internationally. Uh, we have some systems. We understand the needs there. Let's do this in other places. And stepping out of that meeting, myself and my other vice president colleague were assigned to go figure out which market do we go to first. And so we've Obviously, you know, spanned the world. Said Europe is is a logical place. Um, we weren't quite ready to, to, to step over into Asia, and so we scoured Europe, tried to figure out where's the most volume and activity. Germany, where do we actually can speak pretty much speak the same language? The UK, and we looked at those markets pretty hard, and then decided to to focus in on the UK. Found a few companies that we wanted to target. And they weren't for sale, but after meeting with the management teams, basically the owners multiple, multiple times, we finally got someone to say yes and, uh, and closed the deal there in the fall of 2016. And that was uh, in the Midlands in the UK. That was our first international foray. Not that long ago. No, we tend to move fast here at Fleet Corp. And yeah. so, uh, so, so after that, we did acquire a business in the Czech Republic. We acquired businesses in, in further, uh, further parts of Eastern Europe. We um, continued to expand in Europe, doubling down in the UK multiple times. Um, but it really wasn't until 2011, post the IPO, that we decided to go beyond kind of the Europe, North America, call it um, US-Canada geography. And as you look back on your 22 years at Fleet Corps, are there any stories that stand out in your mind as turning points? Oh, so many, as you can, as you can imagine. Um, first, you know, when, when I first joined, I mentioned that the company was losing money. On two separate occasions, our uh, corporate, corporate controller and treasurer, he, he called me personally says, Charles, I, I know we're supposed to pay you this Friday. Um, would you be okay if you get that next week? Said, um, his name was Steve. I said, Steve, if you promise me it's going to show up next week, I'm okay with that. And twice we had to go through that. That's how close wow. Fleet Corps was to being bankrupt and closing the doors. And so th that was obviously a critical, critical moment. Um, then raising the private equity money, which allowed us then to close a couple of deals we had been planning on, immediately got the ball rolling. And Megan, those early deals were, were more um, what I call portfolio acquisitions. 
So we had a core processing system. We were buying books of business of customers that would use our fuel card products and accepting merchants that would accept our fuel card products at their fueling locations. We were buying those those portfolios from people who were running them kind of like a franchise licensed operation and then bring them on to our central systems with our central call centers, our central, um, all the central operations, which provided incredible synergies. So I could buy a business at a good price for the person who was selling it, but I could operate it in a far more efficient manner, which allowed me to generate a lot of earnings. The more earnings I generate, the more value I'm creating for for, um, shareholders and such. And so we could raise more money and then keep that acquisition uh, acquisition process flowing. So getting that first tranche of private equity money was was huge for us. For me personally, uh, having the chance to, to go work internationally, being the first employee from Fleet Corps to relocate abroad, um, you can imagine we didn't quite have the HR processes and systems in place to do that. Uh, so that was a, an, an adventure unto itself. But obviously, being in a, in a, in a different country, learning their culture and, and, and the rules, obviously, of business in different places and how to engage, um, just really, really tremendous learning for me, which then helped me when I got the assignment to build our business in Latin America and, and um, Australia and New Zealand. So all of those those points, and then I'd say, really, for me, this role has been just transformational. So obviously, running businesses around the world is a thing. Then I came back into, into strategy, where I had a very, very small team of kind of advisors and such to come out of that and step into the global CFO role and the responsibilities that that entails um, and the 16 direct reports that I have today um, all around the world and across functions was a, a huge step for me, one that I'm incredibly grateful for. I continue to learn um, lots in the job. Um, and I'm, I would tell you, it's probably the most fun that I've had. Well, I can definitely see how you've been there for 22 years. It sounds like you've lived an adventure. That's for sure. And, uh, you know, delighted with the, the, the team. They've been incredibly you know, instrumental in getting us this far and obviously leadership of Ron Clark, the vision he laid out and, and our ability to execute along the way um, has helped us reach this, this pinnacle where we'll, you know, cross, we've crossing 3 billion of revenue, um, highly profitable and, and continue, continue to perform really, really well. Something we're seeing in the market today is a closer relationship between HR and the CFO. So can you dive into more detail on how you're doing this at Fleet Corps? Sure. And I'd say I have a little bit of an advantage. And so our global, um, our chief human resources officer named Crystal Williams and I worked together in consulting 22 plus years ago prior to coming to Fleet Corps. And she now reports to me as CFO. And Crystal and I engage on all types of programs. And here at Fleet Corps, because we've grown through acquisition, uh, we have lots of different systems. Uh, human resource management systems, uh, payroll systems, and things. So we have a, a midterm plan to rationalize those systems. We, we are constantly working on rewards programs for folks, whether that be the merit rewards programs, our bonus programs, or, or our equity programs, making sure that we can both attract and retain great talent across the organization. 
we look at training and development programs. One of my favorites here at Equity Corps, we call Global Leader, designed for kind of a vice president, senior vice president level level folks who are maybe coming into more executive leadership type roles and connecting them with their colleagues around the world and helping them think through what, what it means to be a real leader, not just managing people, but truly leading um, from the forefront. And so those are the types of things that, that Crystal and I work on and um, constantly, uh, constantly engaging on those things and how they, they uh, apply to different areas of the company, whether different levels, different geographies, obviously things need to be tailored. One of the things we're super proud of here is our efforts in, in diversity, inclusion, and belonging. So we've set up a global council on which I sit. We have regional councils. We've set up, um, I believe, 12 now employee resource groups around the world, um, helping underrepresented populations uh, feel connected with each other, with the company. Um, I participate in, in various programs uh, with the folks all around the world in, in that regard. And so really delighted with, one, um, learning through the programs and the training that we get, and also then being being able to engage uh, with all of my colleagues from a more informed and, and sensitive position. Sounds like you guys are very thoughtful about your talent. Um, curious to know with the with the way the talent market is right now, have you guys had to make any changes to the way you're doing things? How are you continuing to attract and retain talent when it doesn't seem to be plentiful? <laughs> yeah, I, the, there is a battle going on, and, and, and we are we are fighting the good fight. Um, we have um, made certain adjustments in terms of uh, compensation and wages in various areas. I would say our, our merit increase budget this year we're probably gonna we're, we're gonna exceed that a little bit um, in an effort to to to, to fight off the competition. Um, our story, luckily, does speak a little bit for itself. So Fleecor isn't a, a household brand name as a business-to-business operation. Uh, we don't market a lot on billboards. You're not going to see a lot of television commercials. But for people who are in the payments space, they'll know about us based on our track record. And that in and of itself helps a lot. And then, as you mentioned, you know, our focus on people, the culture here is, is quite unique for a company of our size. So we have been able to keep that entrepreneurial, dynamic, um, kind of created-as-you-go type of, 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 of culture with proper controls and such in place, but not overburdensome in terms of structure, process, bureaucracy, things that often come when you get to a company of our size. We've done, a, I think, a phenomenal job keeping that entrepreneurial spirit alive, which attracts Certain types of folks, right? Want to work hard, um, enjoy it, create, build value. If if that's what you want to do, not just administer something that's already built, but go and create new things. You know, this is a really exciting place because we have the capital, we have the the expense structure. We can afford to go and do new things, um, which can can be hard to do if you're in a startup and you run out of capital. That's no good. Or if you're in a larger bureaucratic overly um, burdened business, it's hard to be as dynamic. And so I think we found kind of this interesting middle ground with our culture and our approach that helps us attract the kind of folks that we need to keep growing the business the way we want to grow it. 
And I see that Fleet Corps recently acquired a UK-based cross-border payments business called Global Reach. Can you talk more about the company's growth strategy and the role that you specifically play in M&A? Certainly. And so Fleet Corps' overall growth strategy does bifurcate. We do focus a lot on what we call organic growth. So this is where we sell more business and clients than we lose. And that way we can continue to grow even if we don't do M&A. However, we supplement that organic growth with very thoughtful acquisition strategy. And so when we approach any target, we look at what we call the, the thesis or year one thesis. What are the initiatives that we are going to employ to improve the growth trajectory and the profitability of this target? And so for us, Megan, it's less about what we buy and more about what can we do with it, either on its own or in conjunction with other assets that we already own. That could entail cross-selling. It could entail monetization of payments through some of our networks, whatever it may be. If we can find synergistic opportunities with other assets that we have to create the one plus one equals three scenario, we will do that. If we don't, but the asset is still super attractive on a standalone basis, given the ideas we have, given we've seen so many different businesses and evaluated things, things we own, things we looked at but decided not to buy, we have lots of ideas on how to create value. And so when we look at a target, we put it through this kind of process, ideation process. What could we do with it? We come up with that, we model it. If it meets then our return thresholds, then we will proceed. In this cross-border instance, this would be the third cross-border business that we would will, will have acquired. So a few years ago, we acquired a business called Cambridge Global Payments. That was our first foray into cross-border FX, um, the FX business. About a year ago, we closed an acquisition for a company called AFEX, A-F-E-X. And that business looked a lot like the Cambridge business. It operated in similar geographies, but with a different overlap, uh, different strengths. And so where Cambridge was really strong, say in Canada, um, without, but had operations in the UK, Apex was really strong in the UK, but had operations in Canada. And so the footprints were highly complementary. They were in the same geographies, but in terms of scale, highly complementary. Um, selling very similar products to a very similar customer base. And so the idea was we could buy this business run it on our platform and with our operations teams and basically get incredible cost synergies um, on the the back end once we're integrated. And so we have not yet fully completed that integration, but we're very, very close. Um, And and it made progress obviously along the way and it benefited from the progress we've made. But by the end of this year, that integration will be 100% done. Global Reach is version 2.0 of that same kind of playbook, where they're in similar geographies. I'm buying a portfolio, but I can move that portfolio onto my systems and and generate all the same types of synergies. We think this is a really interesting strategy specifically for that cross-border FX business, as there are many fragmented players outside of the major banks that operate in this space, but don't have our scale. And since we've now proven our capability to integrate an acquisition onto our core platform, we have incredible confidence to go out and bid a good price 
and be able to port the next target on in a very similar fashion. So once you've made an acquisition, how do you quickly and successfully work on integrating it? Like, How do you spend your first 100 days? Yes, and integration does take different forms. And so in some cases where the business is more standalone, it may be in a new type of uh, payments category that we haven't operated in before. Similarly, like Cambridge a few years ago, we weren't in cross-border FX. It's kind of standalone. So the things that we focus on, first and foremost, we get control of the cash, make sure that we have all the controls in place for that. We get control of people. And so people policies, making sure we're in compliance with things, making sure that people don't um, hire or fire without us knowing and and follow the rules. And then uh, systems, making sure, one, that they're uh, secure, right? So make sure from data security perspective, and then obviously they're they're built uh, to run. And so making sure systems work, people are controlled, cash is controlled. That's kind of the first and foremost what what we're on. And then... That's, but that's all around control and stability. Then we Im- immediately start in on our, our initiatives. What we'll often do is assign a, a project manager that may be someone out of the corporate development group uh, or one of our strategy teams, and they'll play kind of coordinator. And then we go and basically engage the management team. We share the vision. Look, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Here's how you're going to benefit from that. Um, there may, in some cases, be certain financial incentives for people to help us achieve these integration outcomes. And then we get to work. And and that work could be around setting up new sales channels, um, maybe product innovations. It may be um, system conversions, whatever it may be. And again, it's always specific to that target based on the opportunities that we've already identified through our diligence process. And FleetCore is in the process of expanding its portfolio, especially in the EV sector. So first of all, what is EV? Yes. So EV, electric vehicles. Okay. This is, uh, um, as you might see in the headlines and the news and such, a very, very hot topic, um, focusing on it's better for the environment. And in some cases, it can be cheaper for for the the consumer, the driver. In historically, for FleetCore, Right, we've sold a lot of fuel cards. Now, fuel represents about forty percent of our business today. So we have diversified a lot. Um, as an example, when we went public in two thousand and um, two thousand and ten, uh, fuel was over ninety percent of of our revenue. So we have diversified a lot. However, it's still a meaningful portion of our uh, three plus billion in revenue. So forty percent and. One of the concerns is, well, if everyone goes to EV, do they still need your services? And so one of the things we try to explain to folks is that our services aren't just about buying a fuel commodity. It's about controlling the fleet purchase. Whether you're buying fuel or electricity or an oil change or whatever it is, you want to spend the company's money in a smart way. So it's really more around expense management. It's not specific to fuel. But nonetheless, as folks transition to EV, the services need to evolve. And so what I mean by that, it's different networks. Not every EV is going to be charged at a gas station. There are EV chargers at the shopping mall and the hotels and other places. So you need a different network to serve those types of vehicles. You need the ability to track at-home charging. And so 
when people go home and plug um, their EV in, it's not free, right? It's like running your air conditioner with your your, your front door open. It's a large appliance that that's pumping out uh, that that's, that's consuming energy. And so you want to control those costs and be able to reimburse your employees in a timely way, so they're not out of pocket for filling up uh, the re-energizing that that company vehicle. And so the nature of our services still around data and reporting of volume, whether it's how much fuel you buy or how much electricity you use, looking at that across vehicles to see why certain drivers might use more, consume more energy than others. And that has implications on battery life and obviously expense costs. So all these similar types of expense management and data and reporting that allows a fleet manager to manage a fleet of internal combustion engines will also help them manage a fleet of electric vehicles. Now, many fleets don't really convert all at once, right? They'll, they may have a fleet of 100 vehicles and they may take five or 10 and turn those to EV um, and then continue to run the other 90. And so for us, having the ability to get that all that different data and provide one comprehensive view of, of a fleet for fleet managers is quite important. And so what we've done in the last two years is partner with and make minority investments in a couple of companies that provide these types of services. So over in the UK, we made a minority investment in a company called Mina. And Mina helps us capture charge data at home when an employee is at home and reimburse the utility for that charge immediately. And therefore, when the utility bill shows up in the driver's mailbox, they don't have to pay for the company electricity. That's already been done. And then we turn around, we bill the company directly. And therefore, the driver is never out of pocket and saves the fleet manager and the company the whole submit expenses, give me your, your utility bill, and let's figure out how, what percentage of this was for the company vehicle versus the air conditioning you were running. So it, it eliminates all of those needs. In the U.S., we've actually partnered with a company called Motorq, M-O-T-O-R-Q, and they're a connected vehicle company. And so they grab data from the vehicles that are driving all around. So when a vehicle goes and plugs in to an electric charger, whether it's at home or out in a network, we're pulling all of that charge data from the vehicle. So again, we can report out the use usage to the fleet manager. And if you are out in the network and you're using one of our card products, then I can also um, handle the kind of employee reimbursement aspect of that as well. So a couple of minority investments there, all of which have been focused on serving existing fleet managers who are in the process of migrating their fleets to EVs. I would tell you that that's a fairly slow going process. Car vehicle fleets move a little bit faster than the vans because they haven't been as available for as long, which are moving faster than the box trucks, which are moving well faster than the over-the-road 18-wheelers, which, you know, when you load them up in a lot of weight, um, it's difficult for the batteries to, to, to maintain life. So the, the migration curve here is slow, but we want to be ready for it. And so we're getting upfront with pilots and certain investments to figure out which products fit best for, for which use cases with our fleet managers. And that way we're prepared for the migration. Yeah. We're now starting to shift our strategy a little bit, Megan. So what I say is everything we've done thus far is more defensive. It's helping existing clients manage their migration. What we want to do is focus more on an 
offense strategy. And what I mean by that is looking at investments in other areas of the electric vehicle ecosystem, where it would allow us to more benefit from the migration curve. So in some cases, some cases, investors have a bare thesis that, well, if electric vehicles come on, maybe people don't need fleet core services as much. I refute that and remind people that it's not about buying fuel, it's about data and managing a fleet. However, the concern remains for some. So we are looking at other investments where we might serve as an example, charge point operators who need software to manage their sites, who want to accept different types of payments, like from us and others. And so looking at software there where we can provide that helps us build out a network, but also then allows the charge point operator to operate their sites not only for commercial fleets, but for consumers or whomever else. Um, that would be one example of an area that we're, we're looking at. And, but the whole idea is that electric vehicles are coming. We are here to help our fleets make the migration if they so choose. And even if they do, um, we are going to play in the ecosystem in another way that allows Fleet Corps to benefit a lot from the upcoming electric vehicle migration. And you mentioned being more offensive rather than defensive. So how do you help Fleet Corps? Um, how do you help Fleet Corps to do that? I mean, with so many unknowns and an unpredictable future, how are you guys trying to be offensive rather than reactive? So in this case, we're actually looking at other segments of the EV ecosystem. So in the past, we were only looking at our fleets commercial fleets with vehicles that'll someday go electric. Now what we want to do is look at other people who are in the ecosystem. These might be the charge point operators themselves. It could be electric vehicle manufacturers. It could even be consumers. Um, I saw a study, uh, a survey, you know, consumers, consumers, why, why are you hesitant to go out and get an electric vehicle? One, costs. You know, they, they're still kind of expensive. I'm not sure I'm going to get the return that I want for this. Two, I have some range anxiety, and I'm not sure the battery is really going to hold up for all my driving, and then what do I do? And then the third one is around availability of chargers. So even if I know where to go, and there's one close by, is it available? One, is it functional? Is it working? And reliability has had issues. They've had some issues. And then two, is someone else already there? And are they going to be there for an hour using it? Because I don't really want to spend that kind of time. And so with some of these types of um, some of the software that we're looking at, we can provide maps, find a location, reserve a location, um, look and see what, what level of charging is available. Is it a rapid charger, which would take you an hour, or is it a slow charger, which could take you up to eight hours? And so it better be at a hotel so you can book a room. You know, these are the types of things that consumers can, are, are worried about. So if we have software that can, the consumer can find, book, pay for electricity, it's tied to charge point operators so that you can accept the payment and operate their site and get volume and revenue in that regard. And then go to, say, an, a, a car manufacturer. They may want to provide in-car purchases. I want my electric vehicle to be able to go to a charge point operator, plug in, and I want to be able to enable the purchase. Okay. Are you, whatever car manufacturer, going to go out and negotiate with all the different charge point operators? all around the country, and in our case, internationally, individually? Are you going to go to them and negotiate deals? Or do you want to come to me because I've already built the network? Because I'm building that infrastructure 
for my fleet clients. Now I can leverage it for other people. And so use me and the software I've embedded everywhere to enable your whatever type of vehicle it is to go to any charge point you want using my software. So these are the types of things that we're looking at, continue to evaluate, and and then we'll be placing some bets pretty soon. And let's switch gears and talk about ESG. Um, More and more, we see the CFO taking on the responsibilities related to ESG. So can you talk more about how you're leading these efforts at Fleet Corps and also the ESG report that you guys provide? Certainly. So delighted... um, Delighted to report that 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 I did spearhead our initial publication. It's been um, about two two and a half years ago where we had our initial report. I would say that um, the company was doing a lot of things in and around environmental, social governance um, programs, but had not really communicated it to the public and, and to investors. And so I took that on with our marketing department and our investor relations team a couple of years ago. We put out our, our first report. And uh, I, I think it was good last year, technically January uh, of this year, but, but, but our last year report, which we published a little bit late, was kind of a supplement to that initial report. And so we got feedback on areas where we can make, make more efforts. So we did launch additional programs and such, but also Again, just making sure people are aware of all the great things that Fleetcore was doing. We just weren't weren't taking credit for them. And so we are in the process now of, of drafting yet our third report, which should come out in the next month or two. And some of this is, is around just making sure we've documented and made it clear all the great things we're doing. But of course, through that process, it identifies other opportunities. And I'd say that through through COVID and such, you know, we focused a lot on employees, mental health, kind of connections, communication, et cetera. It was a big, big push. And I, I'm, you know, super proud of what our human resources teams did during those difficult times. Um, in some cases, you know, uh, like some of our products are actually beneficial for for. Uh, consumers. An example would be in Brazil, we provide payments for commuters who can't afford to own a vehicle in Brazil. And so by law, the companies in that country that need to provide a commuter benefit, and we actually administer those programs. So those folks can commute to work and then uh, basically have all of that prepaid by the company. And so it's a form, helps us with financial inclusion, similarly like our pay card products, where where folks may not qualify for credit cards and such, but by getting their their wages put on a a prepaid card, they can go out to restaurants and use it. They can go online and make purchases. So some of our products, you know, help with financial inclusion. Obviously, the work we're doing in in electric vehicles to help fleet managers make the transition in a seamless and, and, and frictionless way will eventually, as the migration curve comes, will help to reduce reduce emissions. Um, we've taken on our own data center footprints and we've reduced those to, to reduce costs. So the reporting is one thing, but what it did is it helped highlight other opportunities that we've then been able to pursue in, in, the, in the ensuing years. Um, more work to do. Megan, I'd say that it, it's a journey. It's not a project and then you're done. And it's certainly not just a report. Um, it is an ongoing process where we evaluate what opportunities sit before us, where can we make progress, um, and where should we focus our efforts. We can't do everything because um, 
there are other things that, that, the, that we're focused on, but we do try to prioritize and make sure that we continue to make progress where we can. Yeah, it's definitely a journey. 20 years ago, ESG was not even a thing. And uh, now it's become very important. I would say probably five years ago, I'm not sure I could even spell it. Yeah. <laughs> so Charles, lastly, as a CFO, what, what is keeping you up at night right now? So I'd say, you know, there's a lot of, lot of discussion about potential recession. You see it on the news. And I'd say in our businesses, um, similar to, to, to how the banks have, have reported, we haven't really seen it yet. But given the news cycle and such, um, in, inflation where it is, interest rates where, where they, they are, where they, they could be heading, you know, it's quite possible that we could be facing this. And so, you know, we're looking at where might we have any soft spots? How do we want to think about credit and such? So these are things that, you know, the come and go, the cycles come and go, but you just want to make sure you're prepared um, and, and, and reserved appropriately and, and make sure that if there are any soft spots, um, we, we, we can shore them up. We've been through this before, whether it was the 2008, 2009 global financial crisis when Fleetcore was basically flat for the year, year over year, um, with no major reductions in, in staff, or whether it was COVID, which affected us disproportionately, given a lot of our, our payment products are, are, have mobility elements to them, fuel, tolls, lodging. Um, but even that weathered the storm and came out stronger on the other side. So I'm very optimistic that, that we'll once again can battle through this, um, whatever it turns out to be, whether it's a Category 1 hurricane or something bigger, as Jane and Diamond Diamond kind of alluded to. But either way, I think Fleet Corps is very well positioned with the strength of our balance sheet, our, our, our liquidity, our um, operating margins. I think we're just in a really, really strong position to weather any storm that comes. Yep. And as you mentioned, challenges always present opportunities. Indeed. Indeed. And we, we will capitalize as we have in the past. Charles, thank you so much for being my guest today. Megan, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah, I really enjoyed speaking with you. And I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. And I wish you and Fleet Corps all the best. Sounds like you're both doing amazing things. And to all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.